Welcome to False Bottom Girls, a podcast about the wonderful yet sometimes confusing world of beer and brewing. Hi, I'm Rachel Hudson, owner of Pilot Brewing and an Advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair, sensory expert, home brewer, and Advanced Cicerone. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of False Bottom Girls. Rachel just got a um, demonstration about how I don't know how to count down from five with my fingers. <laughs> Really, I really had to think about three. <laughs> she makes funny faces. She's yes. like, I'm doing it. It's four. That was three. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was basically like when you ask a toddler, like, how old are you? And it's like, I'm this many. And then you have to figure out the spatial awareness of your hands. That's not what we're <laughs> here to talk about today. Uh, today, we're talking about, I think for me, it up until prepping for this episode was a concept that I didn't really have a great grasp on. And we've said it before on, on this podcast about how we, a lot of times will choose topics because having to explain something complicated or even something uncomplicated to somebody in a clear, concise way is one of the best ways to be able to recall that information and, you know, really be able to figure out how to explain it to people. So that's kind for of what sure. this, at least for me, that's what this episode is, is like today. So yeah. And we've been wanting to talk about this for a while. Right. We are talking on the, about on the back burner. We are talking about pH and try try high tradable <laughs> acidity. So every time we've been talking about it, we just say pH and TA and then, yeah. you know, realizing that TA can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. So titratable acidity. Uh, but yeah, Rachel's right. We did. We have had pH on the list for a while. And again, it's, you know, it's something that concept wise, we understand, you know, when to check it. Um, I think we both probably understand, you know, generally why, um, but there's not a ton of pH information out there that's not written in a very technical way. Neither one of us are very technical background kind of people. Um, so we just kind of kept pushing it off to be like, uh, we don't have brain space to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, we know we're going to be possibly tested on it. It's on our to-do right. list, which is why you get to listen to it. <laughs> right. For right. our benefit. Yeah, exactly. Basically and your benefit whole podcast. Too. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Once, once we both pass master, we're going to be like, yeah. Yeah. So what do you want to talk about? Squares and shapes? (laughs) (laughs) Something so dull Uh, that I need to mumble in my mind. My next big project is learning how to tie knots. So um, maybe this will just turn into a like a boy scout or a girl scout. Yes. Like a scout. I should say scout. scout. Yeah. I can get you some badges for that, you know? Oh, thank you. Like I'll I'll, I'll do some research. Okay. I I would appreciate (laughs) that. I've got my knot. I've got my big book of knots. Yeah. I bet it's a lot of knots. It is a lot of knots. And I don't know how to tie any knots. I can tie my shoes most of the time. <laughs> pretty okay. Do you tie a lot of knots in life? Like, do you come across knot tying problems? No, but <laughs> I feel like as we're in late stage capitalism and society is collapsing around us, being able to yes. tie knots is probably a good, it's a good, um, it's a good skill. skill. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. could like collect cans of food, but you know, tying knots is, <laughs> gonna need to get you far. Listen, I'm gonna have to tie some motherfuckers up and make it so they can't <laughs> escape. Um, I mean, I need to learn nautical knots. 
All right. Very I, good. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So that not maybe this pH. will just turn into a knot. <laughs> That's a pH. <laughs> a knot podcast. What's the pH of a knot? Seven. Get, you'll get back to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. See, I haven't actually started my knot practice yet. I have got at the end of this episode, remind me. I mean, I really want to do share this story, but I've got a great little story about what's going on in Charlotte right now with the breweries and pH of their wastewater. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. It'll be good. So awesome. we'll, we'll, we'll get on it so we can get to the good, good story. Yeah. So when we're talking about pH, what we're talking about is the level of acidity or basicity in uh, in a substance. In this case, obviously, we're talking about beer. So acidity in beer can be measured in two ways. It can be measured with pH and it can be measured with um, titratable acidity. And the when we're talking about what acidity is, is the effective strength of an acid in, in, in a solution, in this case, in beer. So this is where the having to write out this concept, like I can read it and it makes sense. Um, but having to just put it in my own words was helpful because like I said, the, um, you know, in the water book, like there's an entire, I must say paragraph, there's an entire, I've gone a little feral when it comes to podcast recording everybody. So um, you'll have to forgive me, but um, in the water book, right, there's the entire chapter on pH, but the, the water book is very dense. Oh, it's so dry. It's so dry. We are, yeah, I was just saying, we are (laughs) legally obligated to make a joke about the water book being dry every time. Um, And everybody is. Yeah. It's actually something that you agree to when you purchase the water book. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Just read the fine print. Right. Exactly. And I will, uh, this is a very brief aside, but kind of along the same lines. Uh, I recently took the, retook my master exam and, you know, part of the, Uh, part of one of the orals is like draft system troubleshooting. And the end goal is always to get the beer to pour, right? So you're given this scenario and like, I just, I want my beer to pour. And the, for one of them, um, there was a, a commercial example on draft and, you know, you're, you get the beer to pour and you have to pour it into a glass so you can make sure that it looks the way it's supposed to look. And I think I was the second person to go and, you know, I get the beer in the glass and I'm like, can I just drink this? <laughs> and the proctor's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. And then later <laughs> at lunch, after everybody's gone through all of the oral exams, we realized that all of us made that same dumb joke. <laughs> oh, okay. Somebody was like, yeah, like I asked if I could just drink the beer. And I was like, so did I. And then everybody was like, so did I. So, so did we. And we were just like, oh my God. This poor, this poor proctor had to listen to nine people be like, can I have this? And just like politely laugh. They weren't they were laughing with you after time three, you know? It was right. like, really? I bet yeah. I bet they had a freaking pool going on at the back. Like, <laughs> let's see how long this goes. Like, right. I bet every single time they just go back there dying laughing. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, yeah, somewhere on that like score sheet, there's a, a thing that's like makes this dumb joke minus five. And he's like, ha 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 ha. Don't worry, everybody's five. got the same grading scale. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just saw a text pop up from my husband. I'm laughing so loud. He's like, dogs are worried. 
<laughs> but yeah, so okay. just like you have to, you have to agree to always say the water book is dry. Um, <laughs> all nine of us made the exact same joke over the course of I would never get to hours. stop making that joke though. I'm I know. Say. Yeah, <laughs> you have to, you have to, it is a very dry book. Um, <laughs> well, I, I just love it. <laughs> but so, you I know, think- with the, the water book, the, that chapter is very dense and we were actually talking in one of our Patreon bonus episodes that the Gosa book written by Fal Allen oh. is written by somebody. And he says, you know, I'm not, I don't have a technical background. Here's yeah. how I understand pH. And it's these, I, like the concept of pH doesn't change, but having it written by somebody from a non-technical background, I like, I read through it and I was like, this is amazing. Now, yeah. now I understand pH and titratable acidity so much better because I just have it from a different source, which is also why it's a good idea in any kind of industry to not just keep having the same people uh, give the same information and the same presentation about it because it's it, there, there is value in that knowledge and in being part of the industry, but it's, you never know when somebody else just needs to hear that information differently. Exactly. Exactly. And it can be, it can be like us, like reading pH. And I'm like, well, I guess I just don't really comprehend pH because the, no, it's what because... I have in front of me is the same source. Exactly. And again, the, I'm not saying that, it, that it's a bad source or anything. John Palmer is, a, is, is no, no, for in sure. Water, but reading it in somebody else's words, I was like, okay, yeah, all right. Now I get it. It's side note. One of the reasons why we recommend escarpment labs videos so well, yes. so much. So if you're looking for that, I can't tell you, and I know I've said this on other episodes, like, shoot, do I just need to sit down and learn chemistry 101? No, you don't have to do that. Right. <laughs> like, and don't try to do that because I did. I, it was not working out. Right. But speaking of the Goza book and just simple explanation of pH, I'll just read some points from that, which is funny because when we were prepping for this episode, it's at the top of my notes because that's where I started my notes. And I was like, we're not going to start with this. We're going to start with <laughs> but. <laughs> But it's it. She's right. He just explains it in such a way, like okay, so acid pH stands for potential hydrogen. We'll start there. Um, the acidity of a liquid is what we're measuring. It was what we're using pH to measure. It was what the, that number is coming from, and that's the concentration of hydronium in a solution, in a water solution or beer solution. And um, pH is the scale that we use to measure that concentration. Um, It's on a scale from zero to 14, seven is neutral. So water mostly is seven. Um, Kind of, it's not really like your tap water at room temperature is not going to be seven. Yeah. But if you're in a perfect scenario. Okay. Perfect water. Like heaven, like holy water. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yes. If you're in heaven. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's one of the big selling points. A lot of people don't know that, but yeah, but pH seven in heaven. If you're in a utopias. Right. And, <laughs> but so when we talk about beer, beer is normally the pH of anywhere from 3.5 to 5.5. And we're talking all the way from sour beer to the mash of a beer. Um, the typical IPA, ale, lager will finish around 4.6. Just to give you a little idea, this doesn't really mean anything to you if you don't understand the scale of zero to 14 of pH. Um, it's a process of learning. Like you understand 
Fahrenheit, you know that 32 degrees is freezing. You know that 212 is boiling, depending if you're at sea level. And that means something to you. So it, the more you, if you are brewing and you are wanting to start out with pH, you know, it's like one of the running jokes is once you start learning a pH, you kind of become a little obsessed with it throughout your brew days. Um, but it does become easier to understand because you can start tasting the difference in these solutions, which we'll talk about. That's kind of where your TA comes from. Your tritis, trit, trit, <laughs> nope. I have, I have this, <laughs> I have this one person who listens to our podcast and he comes to the bar. He always makes fun of the words that I cannot pronounce. <laughs> so this is for him. <laughs> so we'll talk a little more about your TA later, yeah. <laughs> but, um, a couple other points, basically what you basically need to know in a brewer sense is where, why is, why is your pH important when you should check it and what measures are you really looking for? For me, right. when it comes down to pH as a brewer, that's what you need to know. Yes. You know that it's measuring whether a solution is acidic or basic, but what do those numbers really mean? Right. And the, the pH scale is similar to the Richter scale. So it's a logarith logarithmic scale. Um, so anytime, so it uses a base 10 and each increase or decrease on the pH scale indicates a tenfold change of the hydrogen in concentration. So if you're, if you have a pH of four, that's going to be 10 times more acidic than a pH of five. Um, and a pH of four is going to be 100 times more acidic than a pH of six. Yes. So it's like that's, the Richter scale. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, kind of a funny story. One time I was working at a brewery and it was like dead weekend time, like slow weekend. So the head brewer was decided he was going to clean and acid the cold and hot liquor tank, which doesn't get done like super often. Like you would tanks, they just get refilled with very clean filtered water. It's not like a huge deal, but it's a project that you do every once in a while. So the next day I come in and this is the cold liquor tank is where like the brewers will refill their water bottles for it's very delicious water. It's why we're yes. very spoiled and oh, I'm very picky about my cold water. liquor tank water. Oh. So good. So I go to drink it and I'm like, oh my God, why is it so acidic? <laughs> what the fuck? I'm like, nobody drink this water. It's like, don't, <laughs> don't brew. I think we hadn't started the brew yet, but we were going to, or was like, so don't do whatever you're fucking about to do. And I go and take a, P a pH of it. And it's like 3.4, which is like a sour beer. And it, it, like, it just, the tank did not get rinsed as well as she should have after the acid cycle. And I was tasting it and it didn't hurt me, but it was a little shocked right. because I, I didn't know if it was going to hurt me or not. I was like, no, you know, hour later, you're like touching my face. Like everything feels fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. If you're cleaning something with acid and you want to double check that you've rinsed it very well, taking a pH is a good way to do that. Yeah. I feel like pH is one of those things where, like you said, you get obsessed with it. You don't have to be obsessive about it, but you're not going to be sorry that you took an extra pH reading. Yeah. It's yeah. just another like double check. And it's also not going to go crazy. Like once you mash in, you have your grain your temperature, your salts, whatever you add it, like your pH isn't going to be like 5.2 for the, in the first 20 minutes. And then like six at the end of the mash, like that's not going to happen. Right. Unless you add it something potentially like it's going to stay regular and you'll notice how things 
like there should be a, a very similar path in your pH readings for all your beers and your fermentations and that you'll start to notice be the normal. Um, for an example, at most bigger breweries that I've worked at, which, you know, left hand and Noda being the bigger, left hand being the biggest, we would take a mash pH after the mash has been going for at least 30 minutes. We take a pre-boil pH. So the end of the lauder wort, basically, a post-boil TH, so after boil, a knockout pH, basically your start of fermentation pH. So that's a lot of pHs to take in one day. And you would notice it would be like 5.2 and it would gradually go lower or it'd be 5.3, 5.2, 5.0. If it was a darker malt beer, it would always be a little, those would always be a little bit lower. So it'd be like 5, 4.8, 4.6, something like that. Um, and that's just stuff that you get to know as you, I mean, if you're home brewing, you're not doing that as much at the bigger breweries. We also take a pH every single day of fermentation because the same, you want to see it drop towards the end of fermentation, and then it will start to come back up just a tiny bit. And that's a pretty consistent pH flow. Right. So, um, and even at pilot, like I, in a perfect world, I'd like everyone to take pH every day, but it doesn't always happen. And it's fine as long as everything is like relatively doing what it's supposed to. Right. And I think that's an important point that, yes, like those are all parameter or all points in the brewing process and fermentation process when you'd want to take your pH, but generally speaking, it's going to be fine. Like we, and we've talked about this a lot, that there's a lot of stuff that like, if you want to control as many parameters as possible, yeah, then this is, this is a great place to start. But like, I don't, I don't have a pH meter anymore because having a pH meter is kind of like having a pet and I wasn't brewing enough to like, make sure that my probe was well taken care of. And then it just got to like, I'll probably buy another one. Well, you can use strips too. And yeah, the strips aren't as good, but yeah. Yeah. But I, I haven't done that. I like, I haven't, don't feel bad. I don't do it. Like I make everyone else do it. (laughs) If I brew it by myself, I'll be like, (laughs) I haven't, I haven't used the pH meter in brewing, but like I, I still win awards and, you know, like I still place when I enter competitions and stuff. So do you need to check pH to make great beer? No, no. Right. And, and yeah. And you, there, one thing I want to say, because I, we're going to start talking about, you know, like what the, what role the pH plays in the mash, um, your water pH going into your mash does not matter. Does it not matter. Does not matter. The only thing you need to worry about is how that water is going to affect your pH of your mash. But one thing that I learned since moving to Atlanta. So when I was in Charlotte, I was on a well and my, I, you know, got my well water checked quarterly. So I knew what was in there. I adjust my water profile for every beer that I brew and moving to Atlanta, I'm back on municipal water. So I'm not using municipal water to brew because using municipal water is gross and I don't want to take the time to get it dechlorinated. So I've been buying distilled water and distilled water has been like I, like I said, I do water profiles for every berry brew and distilled water has been a really, really good exercise for me in figuring out what it is I'm trying to accomplish mm-hmm. where, um, you know, I would, let's say that my, like my pH was getting too high, right. It's getting too basic too alkaline. And so then I said, like one time I started adding lactic acid to my calculation and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
if I'm adding something to make it more alkaline and then I'm adding something to make it more acidic, I need to stop and think about what is it that I'm trying to accomplish. And a lot of times with water chemistry, it's two steps forward, one step back, right? There's some trade-offs you have to make, but it has been a really good challenge to be like, okay, what's the most efficient way that I can accomplish this? But all of this to say your distilled water, um, you know, spring water, whatever is not neutral seven. Um, So that is something just to generally be aware of. So if you get distilled water, that pH is going to be around like 5.7 or so. Mm -hmm. You can usually, if you don't have a pH meter, you can look up the brand and get an idea of what the pH is. But just as we were talking about, like water at room temperature is neutral seven. Water that we use is not going to be neutral seven. It's just not. So um, just a brief aside or actually a very long aside on knowing te- that I'm texting Jeff right now to ask him to look up our last water report mm-hmm. to see what the pH was just because now I'm curious and I know it's in his email. Yeah. So that's, that's just something to know, but your, the, your water pH is not important. Your mash pH is what is important. Yes, because the the pH of your mash is going to affect enzymatic activity. And we've talked a little bit about about enzymes. We had Emily talk to us about enzymes. Um, Your, so when I'm saying like the the water's pH doesn't affect the water, uh, the residual alkalinity of the water that you're using is what affects the mash pH. We're not going to get into residual alkalinity today, but that's just important to be aware of because I know. And I, myself, I have to remind myself, like the pH of the water doesn't matter. What the makeup of the water is, is what really matters. But um, so in your mash, calcium and malt phosphates are going to react to lower your mash pH, while your alkalinity is going to buffer that reaction. So a buffer is a chemical compound and solution that reacts to the addition of another chemical to resist changes in that pH of the solution. Uh, so like calcium is a, is a good buffer in your mash pH. Magnesium is half as good as calcium is at being a buffer. Uh, but enzymes are going to perform at their best within narrow pH ranges. And just a couple of, of really quick examples, like beta-glucanase prefers a pH range of 4.7 to 5.0. Beta-amylase prefers... to 5.6 and alpha amylase prefers 5.6 to 5.8. So this is also very much like when you're trying to do your mash temperature, Mm -hmm. you, you have to compromise. You have to think about what are my goals? What am I trying? What enzymes am I trying to be the most active in my mash and adjust it accordingly? But generally speaking, most brewers will aim for a compromise pH range of like 5.2 to Mm 5.6 and malts, are going to be either alkaline or acidic relative to your target pH. So your base malts are generally going to be alkaline and your specialty malts are going to be generally acidic, um, which is also why, you know, like Irish stout in Dublin has a lot of roasted malts. Roasted malts are going to be are higher in acidity. Dublin also has very high alkaline water. And so that's, you can brew other styles, right? And I think we've talked about this before, like, they were brewing other styles in Dublin that were fine, but mm-hmm. those stouts really popped. And the reason why the stouts popped is because they had very alkaline water. They're using these highly acidic malts that are lowering the pH to the correct range. So you don't have to do quite as much work to create a style that's, you know, that is representative of kind of the place 
that it is. Mm-hmm. So I, I was an economics major. We called it ceteris paribus, all other things being equal. Water at room temperature will be neutral seven in real life. There are so many other things that go into it that mm-hmm. your, your water is not going to be neutral seven. If you're yeah, in exactly. highly controlled circumstances, maybe. Yeah. So we've talked about how pH is important in the mash. pH is, I mean, pH is important to keep track of throughout your brewing process, but during the boil, your pH of your wort is going to affect your protein coagulation, um, your hop utilization and Maillard reactions. And that's why I think also going through this process of like explaining pH, explaining titratable acidity, um, explaining enzymes. It's, there are so many things happening when you're brewing beer from beginning to end that it's really hard to try to talk about like isolate pH because then it's like, well, but how does pH affect hop utilization? And then all of a sudden we have like another hour's worth of material to cover. And I think mm-hmm. pH is definitely one of those that is, it is important in so many different ways throughout the brewing process that it is hard to discuss it in isolation. So a lot of times it ends up being described at very, very high Certainly. level. And then it's like, but wait, then when does it even matter kind of thing? But uh, so just know, like, maybe we'll talk about like Maillard at a different time. Um, But generally speaking, your pH is going to affect your protein coagulation, your hop utilization, and your Maillard reactions. Those are going to be the big three things that are going to be dependent um, or successful, depending on what your pH is. So when we start our boil, the pH is going to drop by about like 0.5 to 0.7. And why that drops is we the calcium compounds are precipitating at the beginning of the boil. So those are falling down into the trub. And once those calcium compounds precipitate, that's when we're seeing the pH drop. Because as you'll recall, calcium is a very good buffer uh, for pH. So as it drops out of solution, we see the beer become more acidic. The, the drop is going to bring the wort pH close to five, which is ideal for most yeast strains to um, get a good vigorous start at the beginning of fermentation. So once we get to fermentation, the yeast metabolism is going to cause another drop by about 0.5 to 0.7. If we're talking about um, sour beers, the acidity level can also indicate like the pH drop can also indicate how far bacterial activity has progressed. And like Rachel said, the pH range for most Finnish unsoured beer is between 4.0 and 4.5. So beer is acidic, but there are so many other things. And we'll touch on this when we get to titratable acidity. There are so many other factors. Again, you can't look at one of these things in a vacuum. So many other factors that affect the overall flavor, finished flavor of the beer. So that can be like residual sweetness, temperature, carbonation, all of those things. Uh, But at its core, if you're only looking at the pH of beer, it beer is an acidic beverage. Uh, So yeah, sour beers will generally be in the range of like 2.9 to 3.9. So we call them sour beers because they have a higher level of acidity. Mm -hmm. Um, So Rachel, you already touched on this a little bit, but talk to us about when to measure pH, how to measure pH. Yeah. How is very important, right? Um, So in my experience, Bigger breweries will measure pH more often than medium-sized breweries than smaller breweries. Um, 
you know, I think I mentioned before there will be a mash pH, a pre-boil pH, post-boil, the the beginning of fermentation, and then every day of fermentation. I'd say a medium and small brewery might just do a mash pH um, and maybe fermentation pHs, call it a day. I know I can be lazy and not even do them. You know, also we've said before the pH of the of the water is not does not matter. It's not what you're looking for. And the pH, like Charlotte water, for example, is actually 8.81. Our process water, which we get evaluated, is 7.9. And so this is after our water's been filtered through our carbon and chlorine filter. Um, so again, we're looking for a pH around 5.2 to 5.5. So the pH of water is not important. So we say that the pH of water doesn't really matter in the sense that it does matter like what it is, but you use your mash parameters to bring it down. So it's not like you can't use the water, if that makes sense. Like it doesn't matter in the sense that all water is usable, but it is very helpful to know what's in your water and not just pH reasons, you know, but, um, so what is it or when, how do we measure pH? We basically, we just take a little sample. It doesn't have to be very big. You're only looking to saturate maybe a strip, like the pH strips that you can buy that used to test chlorine with pools. You know, that doesn't need very much liquid or typically if you have a probe that doesn't need, need much liquid, but your samples should be filtered using a simple coffee filter is fine. Um, and then also it needs to be about room temperature. So in order to get an accurate pH, this scale or everything that we measure pH is, is based on the fact that you're doing it at room temperature about, um, what, 68 degrees Fahrenheit. I think so. About that. Yeah. Um, so you need to cool down your, uh, your wart when you're taking these, because obviously your mash is going to be 150, your pre-boil is going to be way hotter. So if you don't do that one, it's mainly because reading the, the reason for this is mainly to protect the instruments used and measuring pH. So, you know, I, I think I need to like double check if there's like an accuracy difference for my experience. There was, I always mm-hmm. thought, you know, the temperature mattered. Um, but reading that makes me wonder if it's not just a little bit of both, or maybe yeah. that's just what we learned. So used to learning. Right. And I think it, it does matter. And like, I think it is a, um, a significant difference or, you know, a, a difference of significance. And yeah. at homebrew con, I went to a presentation all about pH and he was talking about that. Uh, I, was remiss in not pulling out that information uh, now, but one of the other things that he said is about taking the sample is that how your pH meter works is that it like releases a little bit of, um, I forgot the liquid was, but like it releases a little bit of that into whatever it's testing. That's how it tests. And mm-hmm. so he's like, don't put that in your mash because like, yeah. it's not, it's not going to be any, enough to harm you but you are putting this outside thing. You're going to get a little bit of it into your mash. Yeah. And I remember when I got a pH meter as a home brewer and, you know, getting it after reading like John Palmer says in, in the water book, like you didn't read this entire book to not measure your pH, like get yeah. a pH meter. So I was like, okay, John Palmer. And I got a pH <laughs> meter and I remember just like, sticking it right in the mash and being like, look at that. My mash, my mash pH is oh, right no. on target. And of course now it's just like, and 
I'm sure in the water book, he says, absolutely do not do that. And I was like, I got excited about the pH meter and I didn't read any further. Yeah. Uh, the, but I, I, I remember well. like doing that and yeah. taking, like taking a picture to be like, look how perfect my mash <laughs> pH is. And um, yeah. So basically doing everything, everything. And well, and, and yeah, I forgot to mention those probes will come with a temperature control mm-hmm. probe. So you take either the temperature and the pH at the same time. So right. even if it's off by a few degrees, that typically accounts for it. Right. But your salts are what will help if you have a very high pH in your water as well. And like you take a mash pH and you're like, oh, this is not where I need it to be. Maybe more salts or lactic acid is what you want to start looking at. Although experience in brewing and calculations of brewing are very different. Please, if you're going to like add a lactic acid, really understand how much you need to add. I have had some brewers who get excited after they've learned about a subject decided that 5.1 was too low of a pH or, or um, I got that wrong. Maybe like 5.6 was too high of a pH and added a bunch of lactic acid. And I was like, now take your pH. And it was like 4.7. And I was like, what do you do now? So right. you add, in that case, we would add more grain. Well, and that's what we did. We added more grain, increased the gravity of our beer, but brought that pH back up. But luckily we double batch brew to fill up one tank. So we're able to adjust it in the second batch of beer, but it's just like, remember that everything you read doesn't always necessarily correlate to what you're doing in the brew house because every single brew house is different and all the parameters are different. All the recipes are different. It's just like going into the old grandma Italian kitchen in Italy and putting salt into her fucking pot. Okay. Don't do that. Rachel's the pasta granny in this situation. <laughs> don't, you don't do that. You have no idea what the terror of that brewery is like and how you're right. messing with it. So, right. No, that is important. <laughs> and I think we'll probably, now that we've kind of tackled pH, maybe we'll do an episode on water. Um, but like I use brew in water as my, to, to calculate my water profiles for everything. I know you can do it in Beersmith. Um, but I, by the time Beersmith updated to allow you to do your water adjustments in Beersmith, I was already pretty like, I, I love, I love brewing water and that's B R U apostrophe in it's available for free. It's by Martin Bruingard, who is also a water expert and his, just the brewing water template that you get. He also has very good, concise, clear explanations of here are the different salts you can add. Here's why pH matters. Like yeah, very, very close to what's in the Gosa book, right? I had actually emailed him to say, I just want you to know that this is so much more helpful than the other information that I found out there. Like you just, you explained everything in such a clear and concise way. Uh, so if you're interested in, in doing your water profiles on dialing them in for each thing that you do, then uh, brew and water is a great tool. And you don't even have to do that. If like, if you're not a brewer, but you want to understand water chemistry, you can yeah. still just download brew and water and mess around in it. Like I yeah. did that setting for master for um, a lot of styles. I would develop recipes for that style and would also go into brew and water to mess with the water profile and figure out like, if I'm starting from distilled water, how would I build this water profile to reflect mm-hmm. you know, that, that area? So I think we should do an episode on, yeah, on water chemistry. Um, and I lost my train of thought just talking no, it's about cool. how I great brewing water is. <laughs> I think we should switch over and talk about TA. 
Yeah. And so what that means and why, why we keep saying this word TA and right. Because we can't say titratable acidity. 100% titratable. Of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so what the way that titratable acidity and pH, the relationship between the two is described to me, and this was really helpful is um, the old director of brewing operations for a brewery where I worked said, you know, that we did a lot of mixed fermentation beers. So knowing the TA of the beer was far more important than knowing the pH because the pH isn't going to give you the whole picture. Um, the pH is going to give you the proportion of all of the acids in a solution. So he described the relationship between pH and titratable acidity to be, if I said, Rachel, how many people were in the tap room this weekend? And you said 60% were women. That would be, is that 60% were women? That's the proportion. That would be the pH. And it's like, okay, that's kind of helpful, but that's not what I asked. And that's yeah. not the only, that doesn't tell me how many people were, yeah. in, were in the tap room. So measuring your TA gives you a more accurate perception of how a beer will be perceived. Yeah, exactly. And TA measures all acids in a solution and within a solution there. So Rachel already mentioned hydrogen within a solution within beer, there are both free and bound hydrogen atoms. So when we're measuring TA, what we're doing is we're using a base. So something basic such as sodium hydroxide, we're adding that to the solution. So then what happens is that sodium hydroxide is going to neutralize those free positively charged hydrogen ions. And that's what pH measures is the positively charged hydrogen ions. So once all of that free hydrogen ions are neutralized, the sodium hydroxide will start unhooking the bound hydrogen atoms, making them free and thus making them measurable. So once all the accessible hydrogen atoms are free, your titratable acidity is complete. And different acids are going to contribute different amounts of titratable acidity. And each acid adds its own character to beer. So think about if um, you're, you know, 20, a, a TA of 20 from um, acetobacter, right, from acetic acid is going to taste a lot different in beer than if you have a lactic acid beer with a TA of 20. Yes. Right. So you're going to get a better idea of what that and each each acid, like I said, contributes a different amount. We're not going to worry if you're truly wondering about that. I'm sure you can find that information somewhere. We're not going to get that granular with it. Uh, but when we did it, the you know, you measure it with the the sodium hydroxide, it actually caused the solution to change color. And so that's, you knew that your TA was complete when the solution was really clear or when it was clear, that's when you knew you had all of everything had been neutralized and then you can measure, there's a formula you use to measure your titratable acidity. And one of the brewers, it was his favorite thing to do because he was colorblind. And so like, it starts out like very magenta, yeah. right. And then gradually gets lighter, but he was like the best one at doing titratable acidity because he couldn't like, you know, he would just see kind of like shades of gray until the water was completely clear. Um, so that was something that he was always like, yeah, I'll do the titratable acidity because <laughs> I'm colorblind and I'm really, really good at this. Yeah, <laughs> He was really, he is really good at a lot of things, but it was like, okay, we're, we're doing TA, like, let's go get him and have him do it. 
I like um, to say, um, if you're like, you know how you're watching the weather and it says today it's 95 degrees outside, but it feels like 105 degrees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's how I distinguish the difference. pH is what it's measuring, but TA is what you're tasting. Although right. it comes with its own measurement scale, kind of similar to like IBUs and perceived bitterness, but there's no scale to like measure perceived bitterness. Right. Like it's all about what the person is perceiving. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So you can have, like I mentioned, the, you know, all of the other factors that affect the perception of acidity, there are a ton in beer. So if you've got, you know, a really full bodied imperial stout that has a, you know, a pH of four, you could also have a a really dry light bodied IPA that also has a pH of four, and you would not describe those two as tasting the same. Um, so your measure of acidity is, again, it's one factor in a lot of factors that are going to affect how the finished beer is perceived. Mm-hmm. Very good. Now, if you uh, will allow me, I'll share with you yes. this funny situation that's going on in Charlotte right now. So for some reason, the city of Charlotte, the water, um, the the city that's part that's in control of the water of Charlotte has decided that all the breweries need to start taking pH of their rinse water of their dump water. Okay. Wastewater. Yeah. Uh, they have provided not really a certain time that you're supposed to do this. There's no volume of scale. There's no particular reason as to why we're doing this, except they don't want anything going down the drain that's below the pH of six. They think this is in order to protect the scales like the drain pipes underneath the ground. Okay. Now, have you ever fucking gone to a liquor bar? To a bar? Any, have you gone to a grocery store, to a restaurant? Anywhere that sells goddamn food? Have, do you know what the pH of urine is? It's 4.9. Urine. Okay. Yes, it goes in a pot with water and gets diluted. But like, come the fuck up. You're telling me. So they're worried about the beer that we're dumping down the drain, which... No, again, there's no volume of scale. They're not worried about 20 barrels of beer going down the drain at one time. They're just all beer. And I'm like, right. how long have we been letting tomato, you know, all these drinks, brunch drinks, like tomato juice, grapefruit juice, like coffee, like all this shit that people have been serving for years and 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 years, and years, and years going down the drain. And now all of a sudden you're worried about some like yeast and hop troop and half a beer being spilled down the drain because the customer didn't fill, fill it. Like, what are you worried about here? Right. And so there's like, so I like, you know, they, they're giving all the breweries till January to implement this. And, you know, they cut, they're trying to explain everything coming in and giving us the tools. And I just like giving this lady, I'm just going to town. It's like, what's the point? Like I've worked at many bars and there's no control. Like she, she like tried to use grease traps as a, an example. I'm like, okay. These are very do different things. We're talking about tomato juice and grease traps. You are clearly not worried about liquor drinks. I mean, tequila, bourbons, all under the pH of six. Right. So dumb. And I, I think what happened, where this is coming from, is that there was some brewery, I don't even remember who it was, kind of in a rural area who I guess maybe got a lot of hops stuck in the drain. And it came out at the parking lot or something, which I actually did at left hand one time. <laughs> but uh, 
but uh i cleaned it up it was fine but uh and i'm just like i think this i really think this is what happened some brewery had some sort of special situation and now they're just like holy shit is this always happening at every single brewery right it's so dumb right and i'm just gonna write 6.1 on that goddamn book every single day (laughs) 6.1 6.1 and and at the end of the day we're all all brewer i mean all the breweries get scrubbed with cleaner and water and everything goes down the drain like Water is what's going down the drain at the end of the day anyways. Right. <sighs> anyways, that's my pH rant. North Carolina has a history and probably a lot of other states has a history of people who, like you said, like what, what are we trying to accomplish? And let's work together toward that goal rather than implementing something that doesn't make sense because like you said, they like can practice. That's not how it works. What's the concern? We will work with you to address the concern, but the way that you're approaching it is not the same. Like the North Carolina ABC at one point was trying to outlaw having homebrew competitions in production areas of breweries, which if you've done homebrew competitions, you know that that's where a lot of breweries are happy (laughs) to give up their space, you know, for that. And one of their concerns was that homebrew would get mixed in with the beer and make it out like unregulated beer would be making it out. And like, we went to a hearing and took pictures because it was like, if somebody got homebrew into the fermenter, into the bright tank, into the packaging, that would be an act of trespass, no matter yeah. who's there. Like it's not open pots of beer where somebody's like, <laughs> just smells beer in it. like that's not how breweries work. And, you know, being able to explain that and show them pictures of like, these are all closed systems that that could not happen. And if it did happen, it was somebody with criminal intent. Yes, exactly. It's a bad actor. It's not negligence. And being able to explain that they were like, oh, okay, now we understand. It's like, well, you could have fucking asked in the first place, but yeah, here we are. So we'll just in. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you about government. (laughs) So that, that wraps up uh, pH, titratable acidity. Um, we'll probably tackle water chemistry um, or at least water, uh, you know, a little bit farther down the road. Um, so, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. You probably know where to find us. Uh, but you if you don't, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at False Bottom Girls. You can visit us, falsebottomgirls.com. Or you can email us at falsebottomgirls at gmail.com. We're back in business, at least until Rachel takes her master. Potentially, we'll have another pause in a few months. Um, but then we're both just going to fucking pass and we won't need to take any more pauses yeah. anymore. Uh, so, yeah, thank you everyone for listening and we appreciate your continued support. This has been False Bottom Girls and we make the Bruin world go round. <laughs> <laughs>